Last week we talked about a come-as-you-are culture, and a come-as-you-are culture works when we're on mission, okay? Um, It works when we are open for people to actually show up here. Um, We can create a come-as-you-are culture, but but if, if we're not actively about the work of ministry, then it won't make a difference. And so we're going to be challenged this morning to be different. Uh, and this is not new for us. Uh, this is something that we, that we should be well-versed in. We've talked a lot about this. We've talked a good deal about what it means to be on mission here through the church. And there's just something I want to remind you in as we go. And this is one of the reasons that I am pleased to pastor you. Because by and large, I think we get this. We understand this, that God is absolutely worth our best and our boldest. And we can get into what exactly that means here and there, but, but, but here's, here's what I'm going to say is, is that we believe this to be true wholeheartedly. That's why boldness and, and that's why excellence are core values here at the church. We believe that God is worth our absolute best. That is why, listen to me carefully, as we start talking about faith in action, as we start talking about being on mission, listen, that is why phoning it in hanging it up. That is why saying that we are going to do things the way that we've always done things, that is why that doesn't work. Because God's worth more than that. Because here's the call that we have as a Christian church here in Vinton. Here's the call that we have. We are called to storm the gates of hell. We are called to not just stand against a kingdom of evil, but we are called to break through and obliterate it with light. That's what we're called to do as a church. By the way, if you were thinking that this morning you might say amen to something, it's up to you, that would have been a good spot. I mean, you would, I, I, listen, I'm here like, I don't know, are we allowed to talk during church? Yes, you are, it's going to be okay. But we are called to break through the gates of hell as a church. Listen to me when I tell you this. And I say this to you all the time. And I think, you know, at some point it just gets to be rhetoric. But listen to me. Hell is a very real place. Man, this is the only go around we get here. Hell is a very real place. If this is what we think it is. If this is what we think it is, then that means that we have this life to live and we have got to make a decision to follow the God of the universe and and to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord, our Savior, and to follow him and, and be on mission and everything that comes with that, or we can reject him. There's no neutral about Jesus. You're either all in on Jesus, the God of all creation, um, God in flesh. We are either all in on Jesus or we're not. And if this is true, and man, I have staked my life to this, I have staked my passion to this, my work, listen, you are not going to convince me that this is not true. It's never been proven to not be true. And we could have, we could have conversations forever about why I believe this to be the inerrant, absolute, authoritative word of God. But if this is true, then if we have people that we live around, that we love and that we care about and that we go to school with and that we go to work with and that we sit down to meals with, if this is true, then we have got people that we love dearly that will spend eternity, which by the way, is a ridiculously long time, in hell because they don't know and haven't submitted to Jesus Christ. 
That's just the way it is. And so we are... I need more room. That was a little dramatic. I don't know. Sorry. Hell is real. And it is going to be filled with people that we love. Unless we are on mission. Unless we do our job. But the good news is that that's why we're here. The good news is that Jesus tells us, hey, by the way, when you are on mission, when you are on fire, when you are passionate about the mission that I have given you, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Listen to me. This is not rhetoric. There are gates of hell all over the place in this town that we live in. But God says, Jesus says, when you are on mission, the gates of hell will not stand a chance. But we must be on mission. Not comfortably sat and just enjoying one another and just sitting together and, and, and just doing things the way that we always do them. No, 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 listen. Listen, playing it safe or phoning it in is not how the church will storm the gates of hell. It is not how we will win people to Jesus Christ. It is not how we will unleash the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not how it works. Okay, and so we have to know very clearly what it is that we're about, and, and, and we have to understand, and, and that's why the things that we do are so important. That's why faith in action is so important. By the way, do you realize that if you haven't signed up for faith in action yet, you are now in the stark minority of people that call Blessed Hope home? And you're like, wow, man, that's kind of putting some pressure on. Yes, I know. I'm putting pressure on you. And if you're visiting today for the first time, and you're like, well, yeah, that sounds fun, but it's not, you know what? Stop by the table, get signed up. This is our opportunity to go out, and it's not our only opportunity. This is actually not meant to be like, oh, well, this is the one time Blessed Hope is out in the community. No, no, no. This is a catalyst for us. This is a way that we plant seeds. This is a way that we start to practice it in mass so that we can go do it individually as small groups and families. This is part of that process. But, but right now, if you haven't signed up for Faith in Action, you are in the stark minority of people that call Blessed Hope home. We are going to be out, listen, we're going to be roofing houses, we're going to be scraping and painting, we're going to be doing landscaping, we're going to be working for individual folks that just need to be blessed, need to know that Jesus loves them. We're going to be working uh, for the city to a degree, we'll be doing some work over to school so we can be not just working there and blessing the school, but while we're there praying for all of the kids that will attend there and all of the teachers that teach there and all of the work that happens there. Right? We're going to be at the library in Garrison. We're going to be doing things that will be tangibly noticeable for the community, but not so that people can say, wow, Blessed Hope is pretty cool. I mean, that's nice when they look at us and say, wow, Blessed Hope is pretty cool. But we're going to do those things so that we can create inroads and we can storm gates of hell and we can crash through them and we can do what we need to do. Listen to this. Understand. Uh, this is something that, that we know. We were at the uh, Right Now conference not that long ago, and this was said there, and it was said at the Workers' Worship conference, and it's just something that we need to understand. Listen to me. Good works creates goodwill, which creates the space for the good news. That's the way that this works. Good works creates goodwill and creates the space for the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel message. This is what we're about, and it is our job to storm the gates of hell. And it's not new. And that's why we do CSI. That's why MOPS is so critical. 
Man, when, when Mops is, is running and it's inviting to women who, who in the community don't have a tribe, they don't have a group, they don't have people that they belong to, but man, they're overwhelmed because they got kids and they got to work and, and they got life to do and, and kids are overwhelming. And so they, they plug into a group like Mops where they're loved and cared for. And then they're filtered into the ministry of the church, this one or another one, and they get loved on and they start to grow and mature. That's why Mops is so critical. CSI, we've got kids from families not connected to the church coming here for some summer school instruction so that they can learn more and be prepared for the start of the next school year. But at the same time, they can be loved on and they can be taught about the gospel of Jesus Christ and they can be grown up that way and through the kids we can engage their families. That's why stuff like that is so critical. That's why, we, I mean, we've talked about this with, with the addition that's coming out. That's why we'll be in the next calendar year. We'll be engaged with two services. Because there are people that need to be here to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are people that we need to engage with. The mission is too critical for this. And it's the mission that God gave us. Look what he says in Matthew 5. I'm just going to read you the whole chunk here, but you can see a little bit on the screen. He says, You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? No, it'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot and worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Okay, so this is um, Jesus' most critical sermon here, um, Sermon on the Mount. This is his inaugural thing. He's, he's giving this. This is the induction into his ministry publicly, and he's, he's teaching these things. And he starts off by just saying, hey, here's what you need to know about who you are. You are salt, and you are light. And so before he even gets into the what you do, he starts with who you are. And it's this interesting paradox. We won't land here for very long, but... But here's the thing that I need you to understand, Christian. You are no different than anybody else. See, sometimes I think we get confused, and this is where we tie in so clearly to what Vince talked about last week when we talk about creating this come-as-you-are culture, where people are not just free to come into the church, but people that call this place home are free to unpack their baggage and to share their garbage and to overcome their sins and their hurts, and their shame, that they can just, as they are, they can be here, and they can just wear their wounds, and they can heal their scars, and, and everything can move forward from there. But this is so critical. To do that, we have to understand, look, you aren't better than anybody else. You're no different than anybody else. I'm no different than anybody else out there that we're supposed to be serving. Man, they're, they're broken, they're messy, they're dirty, they're gross, they got all kinds of baggage. Guess what? And I am broken, I am messy, I am dirty, I am gross, I have got baggage you wouldn't believe. They've tried for a long time to fill that need with all kinds of wrong stuff. Guess what? I've tried for long times to fill my needs with all kinds of wrong stuff. They're broken and destitute. Guess what? Man, before Jesus, that's exactly where I was. See, the thing that we have to understand here is that we are not better than anybody else. The only difference between us and somebody else that is not currently part of the kingdom of God is that we have Jesus and they don't. 
That is the only difference between me and the guy who was too drunk to get out of bed this morning and get here to church. I mean, let's just be, be bluntly honest. The only difference between me and that guy is I have Jesus Christ. I have the Holy Spirit. He does not. And so therefore, he's not here. I'm not better than him. I'm by a long shot. The only thing different about me is that Jesus lives in me. The Holy Spirit lives in me. And that makes me different. So at the same, I'm not better. I'm not different than anybody else. But at the same time, I'm radically different than everybody else. To understand this paradox, there's nothing in me of value except for Jesus Christ. Galatians 2.20 tells me this, man, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. See, I need you to wrap your head around this this truth, that there is nothing, and this is going to sound harsh, and it's going to be mean, and I don't mean it to sound mean or harsh, but listen to me, there is nothing worthwhile in you except for Jesus Christ. And I don't mean you're not worth, listen, I've got plenty of friends, people that I love, people that I really enjoy being with and spending time with that aren't Christians. So I don't mean to say that there's like, oh no, icky, gross, stay away, no, no, no. But, but the value in us comes from God in us. That's how this works. That's where we have value is because it's not me standing here. It is Christ in me that gives me value and gives me hope and gives me this thing. This is how this works. And so you have to understand that when it comes to being on mission, you have to know who you are. You have to know where your value comes from. Your value comes from you being in Christ, Christ being in you, and then who he made you to be now can, can be that in its fullest. See, I had some good traits. I think that I was a pretty engaging guy. I think that I was pretty funny. I think I had an adequate level of intelligence. And we all know how good looking I am. Thank you. That's why you invite your mother-in-law to church. In case you're listening from home, she said, amen. Anyway, like, okay, so I mean, I got some stuff that works for me. It's the stuff that God put in me. It's the stuff that God did in me when he created me. He knit me together in my mother's womb with these things that I can do and these traits that I have and this stuff that, that was there. But it was when I came to Christ... It was when all of a sudden I have Jesus now and Jesus lives in me because I'm not important anymore. I've died to myself. Jesus now lives in me. That's what Galatians 2.20 is telling us. I'm not living anymore. Christ is living in me. That all of a sudden that stuff that he puts in me becomes useful. It becomes meaningful. It does something. If you are here today and you are a Christian, it's not an accident that you are the way you are. The way that you're hardwired, the things that you're passionate about, the things that you love, the things that you do well, that is what God has put in you so that when you are redeemed, you can be born again 
in that to its fullest, to the potential that God had in it when he knit you together. That's the way this works. See, that's why you need to be on mission. That's why you understand this. Because when you plug in and when you accept and you follow Jesus and this thing happens in your heart and you become this new creation, and now everything that you are, from the way that you think and the way that you act and the the, the talents and the skills that you have, all of it can be unleashed on this mission. That's the way this is supposed to work. Okay? So get this. Um, this is who you are. Being a Christian isn't a lifestyle choice. It's your identity. And some of you let me just say it this way. Carrie and I were having this conversation after, after we, we were having a chat, actually, about uh, some family members that don't necessarily respect our decision to be Christians. Um, and and it's, it's not open hostility, but it's hostility. And, and one of the things that, that we, as we were having this dialogue and this conversation, one of the things that we um, decided or the, the, that we uncovered is that part of their problem with us is that they feel like we've made a, life, um, a, a lifestyle choice. You know, kind of like I decided to be a Cubs fan. Like, how many of you really love the Cardinals? You're broken and you're messy. Right? Hey, there is grace and forgiveness at the foot of the cross. You lay that, I shouldn't make fun. But no, listen, you're okay. I understand. You like the Cardinals. Everybody makes mistakes. But, but here's the thing. The way I dig into the Cubs is a lifestyle choice. I have chosen to be a baseball fan. I choose to watch games. I choose to listen on the radio. I choose to do those things because it's what I want to do. And, and people look at Christianity, and some of you on the fringe look at Christianity the same way. See, some of you that aren't all in on this, and I'm talking about, man, when you surrender, then Christ lives in you, and you're like, yeah, I'm not sure I'm there. Okay, one of the things we do is we look at this as a lifestyle kind of a choice. I just choose to do this. No, no, no. But what I'm telling you is Christianity, when you, when, you, when you open it up and when you understand what it means to die to yourself and to live as Christ, this is not a lifestyle decision. This is your identity. This is who you are. I mean, if you are here and you were thinking that you could dabble in Christianity and just you know, salad bar, you know, you've heard that, that analogy before, you know, I'll take this, I'll leave that, I want this, but there's no way I'm touching that, and that you could just kind of pick and choose. No, no, no. Man, that's when you're treating Christianity like it's a lifestyle. It doesn't work that way. Christianity works when it is who you are. It is the most important thing about you. Listen to me. I am, I love my wife, I love my children, I love my job. Those are like the most important things. But if you want to know who I am, I'm not husband first, father second, pastor. You want to know who I am? Well, it starts with my identity, and my identity is a Christ follower, a Christ 
lover. I am sold out for the sake of the gospel because you don't dabble in this. And I'm going to tell you, man, this is an uncomfortable thing, and we've lost people over this. I don't, I don't say that tritely. I don't say it lightly. It breaks my heart. We've had people walk away from the church because that's not where I want to be. But it's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. It's your identity. I mean, there's, there's, there's nothing else to do there. There's no other way to see it. it. It's who you are. Okay, and so we go back to the text here, and Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. See, I want you to understand what Jesus is really saying here. What Jesus is really saying is that you are, by nature of your new identity that is in Christ, okay, with Christ living in you, you are dead, Christ lives in you. You're not looking at, at Matt Hance the way you used to look at Matt Hance. Now you're looking at Matt Hance, who has Christ in him, I am different now because God is in me. And he says, look, so in that context, Hans, you are now the salt of the earth. And you are the light of the world. That is what I am supposed to be. Now, the, under, the thing you need to know about salt here is, is that it doesn't mean that I make things flavorful. I mean, I'm a flavorful guy. Actually, I'm not. I'm pretty boring. Okay? But it has nothing to do with flavor here. The way that Jesus is using salt is the way that, that they would have understood this in the original context as they were reading this is that salt was a preserving agent. Think about beef jerky. In my desk drawer, I have a stick of beef jerky. I'm not ashamed of that. Right? I'll snap into a Slim Jim. It's fine. I'm all good. In my desk drawer, I do not have a raw steak because that would be disgusting, right? One is going to decay and rot and fall apart and make a mess, and one is going to be preserved. Travis, this is awesome. Travis comes up last night, and he's like, I found out what was smelling up my room. Travis had taken a bag of frozen vegetables to ice his arm after he'd pitched three games in a week. Um, and he's icing his arm with peas, and then he left them. Turns out that's not awesome. That'll stink up a room because it decays. See, we don't use salt as a preserving agent very much anymore. We've got packaging, and we've got artificial preservatives, and we've got refrigerators and freezers and those things. But here, Jesus is saying, look, you are the salt of the earth, meaning that you are meant to preserve the earth. Not the physical earth that we stand on, but, but the, the people, the world. It's our job as Christians to be a preserving agent, to actively fight the natural movement to decay. See, some of you, we get caught up, especially if you're a Facebook person, you get caught up in the fact that, man, the world is falling apart. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. That's the thing I hear more often than anything else, which I think dates me. But, but that's what's happening. Oh, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. It's bad. Things are moving in the wrong direction. Things are just keep going here. Things are, they, they just keep getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And so we think, well, we could social, we could social work it. 
We can make it better. Well, we could stave some things off, but we can't make it better. We can mental health counsel it. That's going to make it better. We can come up with some new laws or new systems. Carrie does health care things with her job, and it's, you know, it's like, well, how, how do we structure this so that it fixes the problems? You can't fix the problems because the world is on a natural path to decay. Sorry if you didn't understand that before, but it's not getting better. It's not getting better until Jesus comes back and he sets it right, and, and death and sickness and pain and suffering are no more, and he ushers in everything good and right. That's how it gets better, okay? In the meantime, Jesus says, I've put you there as a natural preservative church to make sure that we stave off decay so that we don't fall into decay and that you can preserve the world that you live in. That's what our role is to be. If the, if, if the world is going off the hinges, man, the, the first people to have to own some responsibility of that is the church. I mean, I need us to own that, not blessed hope own it, but the church, the church of Christ needs to own the fact that as the world gets wonky and it gets worse and it worse and worse, and we say, well, what is God doing? Why is he doing? Why is he allowing those things? You know what? God had a plan A and the plan A was the church and the church was meant to be a preserving agent. We look at Vinton and we say, man, Vinton is wrong. Benton County is wrong. Yeah. And you know who's supposed to be preserving it and fighting it and battling it and winning it and storming the gates of hell and crashing through and making a difference? It's the church. It's Blessed Hope. And the other churches that preach the, the gospel here in town. See, this is bigger than you think it is. That's why, that's why we can't just sit back and be like, oh, well, we're happy and we know it. Let's clap our hands and we're here, and we're good. No, 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 yes, we're here, and we're good, and we, and, and, and we grow, and we learn, and we challenge, and, and, we, and we multiply more leaders. And you don't know this, but I'll share it with you now. <clears throat> Man, you thought two services was crazy? Wait about a year when we start talking about multi-site places. I'm going to let that sink in for a second. It's the first time some of you have heard me say that. But it will be about a year from now, I can promise you, about a year from now, when we'll start talking about why don't we have church in Shellsburg? Why is there no church in Garrison or Van Horn or someplace else? And I know there's churches in those places. And I don't mean to shut down those churches. But, but here's the thing, right? The reason that Blessed Hope has been successful in bringing the gospel to people is because Blessed Hope does church differently. And as we do church differently, that engages people that want church to be done differently. Now, there are some, some super spiritual people here that are like, you know what? I'll drive to Cedar Rapids to go to church. But those are people that are already engaged with the gospel. And you know what? Here's the thing. I love those people, but I am not ministering for those people. Because those people have the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they are good. But you know what? There are also people who, right now, they don't know they need the gospel. They don't know they need anything. And so they're quite content to just look around at the landscape of churches in town and say, yeah, you know, a lot of mainline denominational churches, a lot of traditional churches, none of that appeals to me, so I'm going to stay home on Sunday morning. And I'm going to watch four hours of pregame before the football game starts, and that's all I need to do. Listen to me. Those folks are our responsibility. I get that clearly when I read this. They are our responsibility because we are salt 
and we are light, and the world is in decay and darkness, and the world needs salt and light. And guess what? That's our job, because Jesus says very clearly to the church, hey, you are salt. You are light. But then he says this damning thing here. We hate this part. That's about adultery. Let me flip the page. Really, they're right next to each other. It says, but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? No. It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Also, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. And so we, we read in this text here that, listen to me, if we as a church are not salty, and we as a church are not bright, then when it comes to the use of God in the kingdom, we are useless. If we aren't salty, and we aren't actively working to preserve a decaying world and a decaying people, and if we aren't bright, if we aren't shining the light of Christ so that people see us, see our deeds, and they glorify their Father in heaven, if we aren't those two things, then, then here's, let me ask you this. This is a, a mental exercise for you to go through. If we aren't salt and we aren't light, then what good are we as a church? If you aren't salt and you aren't light as an individual Christian, what good are you to God's kingdom? I mean, it doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. Man, of course we are not going to be perfect. Like, I screw up so many times. I make so many mistakes. I mess up so much stuff. And, and God is gracious, and he is quick to forgive, and, and I can get myself set back on the path and put my feet on solid ground, and I can move, right? But if we are in Christ... And we're not going to be full of salt. And we're not going to be shining bright. Then what good are we to God's kingdom? And, and I'm going to argue that, that the answer is none. We're, we're not. If, if we're not actively working, then we're not. But when we are working, um, let me skip ahead here. When we are working, then God gets the glory. And when we say, well, Blessed Hope wants to do these things, that we're going to do faith in action and we're going to get out there in the community. And by the way, I'm going to like, in case you notice the theme, if you haven't signed up for faith in action yet, people will be at the table. I don't care how little, we've got childcare and even our little ones are going to be actively working. And they're going to be, they're going to be um, blessing the community. They're going to be praying at all of our parks. They're going to be visiting our nursing homes and visiting with folks that, that need a little companionship and connection. And all the way up to our seniorest of seniors, we've got jobs for you to be doing to be out buying groceries for people and blessing people with random acts of kindness from the God of the universe to say, you know what? Jesus loves you, no strings attached. We've got jobs for everybody to be doing. And so if you're not signed up yet, you need to get, get signed up for this. Why? Not because it's going to make us great, but because here, we will let our light shine. We will be salt and light. Why? So that our good deeds will glorify our Father in heaven. And in doing that, we will storm the gates of hell 
and we will push back the reign of darkness, and we will usher in even more so the kingdom of God. We will be salt and light. We will preserve this, because here's the deal. We know that we are fighting this battle right now, and sometimes it feels like we're losing, and sometimes we're making inroads, and our job is to take as much ground as possible. Think about it in terms of military action. Our job is to take as much ground as possible for the kingdom of God to prepare the way for his return when he will make all things new. And he will return and he will make all things new. In the meantime, he's given us a mission. And church, we have got to do our part. We've got to be on mission. It's bigger than us. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than our church. It's about the kingdom of God and it's about people glorifying the God of the universe. Okay, and so last thing we're going to talk about here is just simply this. Okay? This is a mistake we fall into. Uh, Dawson Trotman was, was an evangelist and missionary, and, and one of the things that he would say about um, people when he would speak to crowds about evangelism or when he would speak to crowds about missionary service, one of the things that he would often say is this. Emotion is no substitute for action. See, we're good at the feels. Uh, by the way, especially if you're my age, right? My age was good at the feels. And um, it, I think the school did that to us a little bit. Um, I can say that because I was a school counselor before I was a pastor, and we were good at the feelings, right? We wanted everybody to feel good. We wanted everybody to feel like they had a, a mission and a purpose, and we wanted everybody to feel, feel passionate, feel excited. But, but one of the things that we know is that oftentimes what we do is we let feeling substitute for action. I mean, let me ask you this question. This is a show of hands. You go ahead and raise your hands. How many of you hate, you hate the fact that we live in a day and age where there is sex trafficking happening in the state of Iowa? Okay, put your hands down. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands for this part, but I'm going to ask you mentally to raise your hand. How many of you have done a lick about it? Or do you just hate it? See, and we hate it. And we get passionate about it. And we are, ooh, we've got all of this emotion about the fact that there are people being sold as sex slaves in this state that we live in. But we let that emotion substitute for action. And sometimes on the rare occasion where we do act, we let ineffective action substitute for productivity. Go ahead and raise your hand with this one too. How many of you hate the fact that there are people in this city, in this county, that are going to hell? It's funny. We hate sex trafficking more than we hate hell. You wouldn't know that from your vantage point, but I could see it from mine. It's like, oh yeah, sex trafficking. I say hell, and you're like, I don't know. Do I even really believe in hell? Believe in hell. Bible teaches it right? We hate the fact, we should hate the fact, people are going to hell. Same question though, you don't have to raise your hands. How many of you have done a lick about it? See, we get emotional and we think that our feelings about something substitutes for action. And then we think that being busy somehow substitutes for being productive for the kingdom, but it doesn't. You have called to be salt and you're called to be light and you're called to make a difference. And it's because Ultimately, we are called to be very much on mission. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward, and we're going to prepare for um, our communion this morning, praise team. 
And, and here's the thing I want you to realize. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20 just says this. All of this, everything we've been talking about, all of this is from God. Salvation is from God. Mission is from God. All of it's from God. He reconciled us to himself through Christ, and he gave us this ministry of reconciliation. That means if you're a Christian, this salt and light mission that we're talking about, this is the ministry of reconciliation. Okay, well, what's the ministry of reconciliation? Well, here it is. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him. That's the good news. You've got sin. He's not counting it against you. And he was committed that message to us, the church, the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. See, get this. So when God is calling people to reconciliation, what, what Paul tells us here in this 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is that he is making that appeal to people through us. I need you to wrap your head around what that means. That means if you are not actively making that appeal in God's honor, in God's place, if you are not actively about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you are not actively being salt and light in a broken and lost world, means it's not happening. Right? Because that's his plan. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. If you aren't making that appeal, then that appeal's not being made. And we say, but, but the world, Vinton, is getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Yeah. Because we're not doing our job as salt and light. And, and I, again, I'm not trying to pick on us as a church. I'm, I'm talking about the church. We need to do better um, because the ministry of reconciliation is our task. And the ministry of reconciliation is just the simple message. It's why we do communion. It's what we're going to celebrate this morning. Uh, and it's just this idea that God has given us everything we need for salvation. That God, it's up there, um, God is reconciling to the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. That here's what he did. Here's what he did. He saw our sin and our brokenness, and he knew that our sin, even the smallest of sin, would keep us separate from God. And he said, you know what? I can't have my people away from me. I can't ignore sin. See, this, we, we also get this idea that God could just wink and nod and ignore it. No, he can't. God's too holy for that. God can't just look the other way. His character doesn't allow him to do that. He could not do that and still be God. So what happens is he looks at sin and his heart breaks because he wants to be in a relationship with his people and he can't be in a relationship with his people because his people are broken. And so he sends Jesus so that Jesus lives this perfect life. God's son, one and only son, lives this perfect life, dies on the cross, is resurrected so that Christ could put the punishment that was for us on Jesus, on the cross. That's why it says God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them because he counted them against Jesus. So that when we choose Jesus and everything Jesus stands for and says, and we become followers of Jesus, we become Christians, we're born again, then it means that now we are ambassadors for Christ. We are salt and light, and we are on mission, and we have a new identity. It's not a lifestyle choice. 
It's an identity. That's what communion is all about. So that's why we practice it. It's this reminder of this beautiful thing that happened. Okay, Jesus gathers his disciples in the upper room. Paul tells us about this in Corinthians, that that he takes the bread and he breaks it and he passes it around and he says, this is my body, it's broken for you. This is the point where Jesus is telling us that that he is going to hang on the cross and that his body is going to be literally broken and that all sin is going to be put on him on the cross. And then he pours the cup and he passes the cup around and he says, this is my blood that is poured out for you. Drink this and remember. And it's this picture that his blood is going to usher us into this new covenant where when we choose Jesus, everything is made right. Everything is made new when we choose Jesus. And it's not, again, it's not a lifestyle choice. It's an identity. When I choose Jesus, I'm not saying, yeah, heaven sounds great. I'll take that. I'm saying, oh, I am sold out for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have a new Lord, and my Lord is Jesus, and I'm going where he says to go, and I'm doing what he says to do, and that is all there is to it. And so as we go to communion this morning, I'm going to ask you to be mindful of those things. Remember that your sin was placed on him on the cross. When you take the bread, that is a somber moment of reflection, asking God for forgiveness of the sin that you have. And when you take the cup and you drink the cup, you are celebrating and you are remembering this wonderful thing that happened so that when you chose Jesus, you are made new and you are given a new identity. Would you pray with me and then we'll come and have communion and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, God, we just love you so much. We thank you um, that you have given us mission, that, that you've given us this passion and this new identity. And we ask you, God, to change the world through us. Not because we are anything good, but because we are your agents of reconciliation. And so when you empower us and when you send us out and we make disciples and we share your love and your truth with no strings attached and people will understand and you will get the glory and honor and we will storm the gates of hell in this city and in this county and pushing out to around the world. God, we just, we just thank you that you think enough of us that you sent your son and that you gave us this mission and this role to play in your kingdom. God, help us to take it seriously. We thank you for the sacrifice of the cross, that your body was bruised and shattered and broken and and just mutilated on our behalf. And we thank you for the, the power of the blood and the resurrection that brings new life, that when we choose you, that we are continually made right from our sinfulness and we can continue to love and honor and follow after you. God, we just, we can't thank you enough for who you are and for what you've done for us. We love you and we praise you. Amen.